Judges in chapter number 6 this morning. Uh, Judges in chapter number 6. We're going to continue our series in Judges. It took about a five, six-week break for uh, ISOL and the Christmas series. Uh, We'll get right back into Judges, only to pause next week for a Vision Sunday. But I think that today is just be a good message as it gets our minds on uh, just, you know, as we get ready for this new year and what God has for us here. And I hope this will be a blessing to you. Once you've found it and you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet, we want to just take you one last opportunity to stretch. And then as we, of course, uh, glorify God in the scripture reading and bring honor to him. Judges 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitudes. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray that you'll be with this message this morning. You know, many hours have been put into the preparation, Lord, not just of the notes, but of my mind and, and, uh, and the presentation. And Lord, I, I come to you humbly realizing that though all that preparation has been done, Lord, all is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down. And we're asking that you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit power, Lord. You'll get clear my thoughts, Lord. And may you prepare the hearts of your people for your word. Be with the nursery and the children's programs and the youth programs going on right now. Thank you for those dedicated workers and those who love our kids every week. Lord, I pray you'll be with uh, every aspect of the service, Lord, and all those who are serving in ministries today. I pray that you'll help them feel loved and cared for. Be with those online. May they know we appreciate them. And I pray that you'll help them, minister to them as well. I pray that your will be done today and our hearts will be challenged, Lord. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a story about a couple who had two little boys, and uh, they are ages 8 and 10, and they were excessively mischievous. The two were always getting into trouble, and their parents could be assured that if there is any mischief in their small town, it probably had something to do with those two boys. In fact, they got to their wit's end of their son's behavior, and really didn't know what else to do. And someone suggested them to try the church that was a couple blocks down the street. 
the pastor there had been very successful in helping get children's attentions and helping them learn discipline and so forth. And so they called the pastor and the pastor graciously allowed him to come and meet with them. And that day the two boys came in and the pastor says, I'll meet with the young boy first. And he came in and the pastor looked at the young boy and he said, where is God? The young boy looked at him and didn't say a word. So the pastor looked at him again and said a little more emphatically and sternly, Where is God? The young man didn't even flinch. Finally, the pastor mustered all his strength and he took his finger out and he wagged it in front of the boy and said, Son, I said, Where is God? About that minute, the boy jumped up and ran off. The pastor couldn't believe it. He ran all the way home, ran through the front door, ran up to his room, got in his closet, and he slammed it shut behind him. Scared to death. The older brother took off after him, snuck in the closet, and he said, Brother, what happened? Oh, the young boy looked up at him and says, Oh, we're in big trouble now. They can't find God, and they think we <laughs> took him. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that story is true or not, but I do th- know today the story is true. And I will say this, a similar occurrence has come. The children of Israel can't find God in their mind, if you will. They find themselves in trouble. And we know that God was there all the time. We see evidence, as I'll make in just a minute. Well, maybe today you feel like, where is God? Where is God? Where are you, God? What are you doing in my life today? Perhaps maybe you're going through what the children of Israel were going through at this time. And perhaps it could be of your own volition. Maybe not so. But we see this morning that we left off. Children of Israel were prosperous, happy, at rest. The Bible says in Judges 4, verse 23, of course, after Deborah and Barak had rescued them from King Jabin and Sisera, the Bible says, so God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, king of Canaan. We see that God had subdued their enemies. He had prospered the children of Israel because they cried out to God and because they put God first in their life again. God helped them to prevail. He brought peace for 40 wonderful years. And then if you look at chapter 5, verse 31, the Bible says, So let all thine enemies perish. He caused their enemies to perish. The Bible says, O Lord, but let them that love him be as a son when he goeth forth in his might and the land had rest, had peace. Isn't it interesting today that one of the best moments of the children of Israel's time was the prospering, the prevailing, their enemies perishing, and the peace they experienced. But what happened? Slowly but surely, they started taking their eyes off God who had given all that to them. And in their wonderful, amazing life, they find themselves focusing on other things. And thus, the Bible says in verse number one, so the Bible says in chapter six, verse one, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So they go from prospering, prevailing, having peace, their enemies perishing, to now the Lord purposely delivers them into the hand of Midianites, and they are prevailing over the children of Israel. The Midianites aren't a new people. The Malachites, the children of Israel, as we'll see in a little bit, they're not a new people. They've always been there. They've always been great. But the children of Israel go from having peace 
to being defeated and being delivered by God simply because God allowed it to happen. It shows us today in our story that God is always in control of what's going on around us. And it also shows us that oftentimes our actions can determine what we go through in our life, whether it be good or bad. Not always the case. But oftentimes we get ourselves in corners simply because of the way we've chosen to live our life. So today we see five things, a formula, if you will, that the children of Israel, God gives them to get them from being prevailed by the Midianites to having victory. And I want to encourage you today, maybe you feel like you're in that spot, that Jesus Christ wants to help you get back where you need to be. So number one, if you're writing this morning, we see Israel's negligent relapse. Israel's negligent relapse. The Bible says again in verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Their sin was renewed. Their troubles were repeated. If you look at the word Midian, it's not a new name in the Bible. Of course, we know Moses ran there after he killed the uh, uh, Egyptian who was beaten down on his own people. He fled there. But another time it's mentioned in scripture is in Balaam. He was hired by the Midianites and he was trying to cause the people of Israel to worship Baal Peor. If you remember, God used the voice of a donkey to change things. And because of that, Israel was uh, spared and the Midianites received judgment from God. And this is said by Eliot that a national feud was a natural consequence of this. The Midianites didn't come alone, even though they were like grasshoppers already. They got the Amalekites, which was the most powerful tribe in Canaan at that time, and also the children of the east or the Arabs to come with them. And can you imagine being the children of Israel feeling totally overwhelmed and wondering what just happened? And oftentimes in our life, we can feel totally overwhelmed and not understand what happened. And God may be trying to get our attention. The Bible says in verse number two, because of the children of Israel doing evil, they're forced to leave their homes and to make homes out of dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Could you imagine leaving your home today? What about a couple weeks ago when the freezing rain came? All right, kids, pack up your bags. Where are we going? We're going to the Sierra. Wow, are we going to go to the snow? I'm sure there'll be snow up there. Are we going to go for vacation? Sure, whatever you want to call it. But let's go. You leave that beautiful, warm home with the fire stove just in case the power goes out. You know, you get up to the mountains and your mom and dad say, Hey, why aren't we? the kids say, why aren't we going to the cabin? No, 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 no. We're going to go to the den. and Make yourself a little pallet on this cold, wet floor. We'll try to make a little fire so that we don't get killed. Could you imagine? They get forced out of their homes. The Bible says that the Midianites didn't really want political control, but instead they wanted economic exploitation. They didn't really care if they controlled the people. They wanted what the people produced, the the vegetables, the the crops they did, the, the cattle, the sheep, and all that. And we see in verse number three, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. They left nothing. Have you ever been there before? I had six siblings growing up. 
And my family wasn't always, uh, didn't always have a lot growing up. My dad was trying to get his business going. We often joked the only thing we had in the cupboard sometimes was popcorn. Okay. If you know my dad, he's a popcorn farmer, so there you go. But anyways. And I'll never forget sometimes, we, my mom would make breadsticks. Man, I loved breadsticks. I know, you can tell, but I love breadsticks. <laughs> the butter and the garlic. Mm. I know, you guys are getting hungry. I'll stop. Okay. But I'll never forget, my, the rule was you get one, and there was never enough. The packages never had enough for a family of nine, you know. That was just an unusual number. So, you know, it was basically, you all would have one, and then you'd have to get the negotiation started. Okay, can I have your breadstick? I'll do dishes tonight. You know, can I have your breadstick? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do dishes tomorrow night. You know? And it was amazing how you'd negotiate, but oftentimes you'd get there maybe late and realize there's no breadsticks left. Well, why eat spaghetti without breadsticks? You know? But this is what's happening. There's no sustenance. There's nothing. There's nothing left. Nothing to eat, and they're getting hungry. Their stomachs are starting to growl, growl. And may I say, God said this would happen in Leviticus 26, verse 16. But if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning egg, that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And listen to this. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Isn't it interesting that the Israelites were too wretched and helpless to offer any resistance? The people were starving and the land was ravaged, just like God said would happen if they forsook him. The Bible says in verse number 5, they, that's the Midianites, the Amalekites, that's the uh, children of the east, they entered into the land to destroy it. They wanted to just snuff them out. It's interesting to me that all of this happened because of the children doing, of the Lord doing evil. We know that they kept falling prey to Baal. He was the God, the, the God, if you will, of selfishness and he let you do whatever you want, whenever you wanted. The God of pleasure. And they would worship that and they forsook their God. And may I say today that though we may not admit to worshiping Baal, if we're not careful, we too can get ensnared and entrapped by the things of the world. One of the largest freshwater turtles is the alligator snapping turtle. They say he can get up to 250 pounds. Well, actually... Nestle in at the bottom of the body of water he's in, and he'll open his big mouth, strong jaws, and he'll slip his tongue out. It's got a pink tip to it, and he'll kind of wiggle it a little bit. It looks like a worm swimming around in the water. And as soon as that unsuspecting fish will grab a hold of that, his powerful jaws will slam shut on that fish. Is no longer a swimming fish anymore. But oftentimes, Satan wants to give you something under the guise of something desirable. But it always carries destruction with it in the end. Oftentimes, Satan will cleverly disguise it. By the way, before you became, came to Christ, you often fell to his prey. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 
2, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That's what we are saved out of. By the way, if you are not a child of God, this is what you deal with on a daily basis. Why? Because you need Jesus Christ's saving grace in your life. And it's interesting to me that the children of Israel fell prey. Just like you and me can fall prey, even the strongest among us. Yesterday in men's breakfast, we had a wonderful time together going through the proverb of the day. And may I say it was very convicting for us men. And I think that we all need to be mindful that the devil is trying to take us down. The devil's coming at us in every way possible uh, through, through, through so many different avenues than he used to have, if you will, with internet and our phones and so much problems and troubles we can get into. We must decide today to say no to Satan, and how do we do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Bible says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We must decide today that we cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. We must have a strong resistance to the enemy, 1 Peter 5, 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. We must have a daily refusal to give him an opportunity. Don't even give him an inch in Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. And we must decide daily to stand against his schemes in Ephesians 6, 11, to stand against the wiles of the devil. To combat a negligent relapse, it takes a daily desire to spend time with God and to say no to the wiles of Satan. May I say, it may seem like a little bit, but after a while you can get way off course. I'm thankful today I got to fly a little bit the last couple of weeks and the, 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 the air pilot would come on and keep us updated. It's always a wonderful thing when he says, we're going to touch down about half hour sooner than what we thought. Praise the Lord. But I promise you, if he wasn't set in the right direction, it would be way more later than that. A little bit matters. I'm going to encourage us today to be mindful of Satan trying to take advantage of us. We see, first of all, the negligent relapse. But second of all, I want us to see the Israelites' nervous regret. The Israelites' nervous regret. The Bible says uh, in verse number 6, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, Verse number 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. Why did they cry out? Well, the Bible says in verse number 6, Israel was greatly impoverished. The word impoverished means reduced to pauperism. It was helplessness. It's like a door hanging loose on its hinges. It's like a door that has one stubborn nail left in it, and the wind comes and it flaps back and forth. It does no good, and it's just barely hanging on in a thread. And that's what the children of Israel, they're basically hanging on to the thread, and they realize they're helpless without a Savior. And so they cry unto the Lord. It's interesting that the Lord responds differently than he has in times past. You see, in the first time the Lord sold and they served other gods, they served Shusheth Rishatham and they were saved by Othniel. Then they served and became enslaved to King Jabin and Sisera through enforced labor and laying with them. And they were saved by Deborah and Barak. And they served and now they're enslaved by Midian. And they're probably wondering, okay, when's that judge? When's that savior going to come along? And instead of sending a judge... 
The Bible says God does something totally different. And oftentimes in our life, we picture God as this loving, perfect, wonderful, rosy God. But in all reality, God sometimes does some things to get us where he wants us to be. Sometimes people misunderstand that. Charles Spurgeon used this parable to illustrate the bondage of sin. Oftentimes sin can just totally choke us up. He said there was once a tyrant who summoned one of his subjects to build a chain. The subject took that chain and he was one of his best blacksmiths and he built that chain and he came back and he showed it to the tyrant and said, here's your chain. The tyrant said, hey, you need to make it twice as large. And so he went and he worked on it for a while and made it twice as large and he brought that big heavy chain back and the tyrant says, good, thank you. Now servants, bind him up with it and throw him into prison. Charles Spurgeon said this, oftentimes that is what the devil does with men. He makes them forge their own chain and then binds them hand and foot and casts them into outer darkness. May I say today, that's what Satan did with Judas, did he not? The Bible says in Luke 22, verse 3, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. And we often wonder, why would Judas Iscariot do such a thing? Well, Satan, he was allowing Satan to maneuver his life. May I encourage you today that when you allow Satan to maneuver your life, he will bring you to certain bondage and destruction. We see this is what the devil does with men. Luke 22, verse 3, we talked about Judas, but Paul warns us against this in 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We see in another scripture, Peter tells us that he is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he tries to hide himself and portray himself as an innocent person like the serpent did with Eve. But Paul says Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He looks good. He looks delectable. He looks like he's something you want. But in the end, he tempts people with false pleasures. He plucks out the word of God in Mark 4, verse 15. When they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown. He causes sickness. The Bible says in Luke 16, verse 13, Satan bound a woman for 18 years. He is called a murderer in the Bible. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And I can't help but say today that Satan wants nothing more than to destroy you. He's going to use the world. He's going to use your flesh. He's going to come at you again and again and again. And he's going to try to get you to fall down. Why? Because he hates you. And the children of Israel are starting to understand. Wow. It's not good that we're doing evil before the Lord. Wow. This nervous regret starts coming after them. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. not? So what happens? Well, we see the negligent relapse, the nervous regret. But number three, as we hasten on and want us to see the Israelites' needful remorse. The Israelites cry out for salvation. Yet instead of bringing a Savior, the Lord sends a preacher. In verse number eight, the Lord sent a prophet. And this was God's first response. He says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, which said unto them. Oftentimes, God's first response isn't always what we want, but it's always what we need. 
The story is told of an atheistic barber who was talking to a pastor. He's cutting his hair. The barber asks the pastor, if there is a loving God, how can he allow poverty, war, and suffering? Just at that moment, a disheveled man walked by with hair everywhere and a beard. It was all matted. And the pastor looked at him and said, you are a barber and claim to be a good one. How can you allow that man to go unkept and unshaven? Well, he never gave me a chance, the barber said. To which the pastor said, exactly. Men are what they are because they reject God. We see a loving God, but when we reject him, he has no choice but to get our attention. We see in verse number 8, the preacher says, Which saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you and gave you the land. Everything I've done is for you and has made you better, made you prosperous, made you prevail, made the enemies perish, and made you have peace in the land. I've given you all this good stuff, but yet you reject it for the second best, which actually is there to destroy you. And God sends a prophet to convict of sin before he sends the judge to rescue Often people are regretful and even show some remorse, but they're truly not repentant. Regret and remorse says, I'm sorry I got caught and I'll try not to sin again. But repentance decides instead to have a change of heart. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, The sorrow of the, heart of the world worketh death. We see the negligent relapse which led to nervous regret which brought to needful remorse, and they were trending in the right direction, but they still weren't there yet because God ultimately wanted the Israelites' necessary repentance. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 10, And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And God wants so much more than regret or even remorse. He wants true repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Regret and repentance both have sorrow and both have distress. But worldly sorrow does not produce any real change. No, worldly sorrow instead is regret over the consequences of sin. It's instead sorry about the horizontal around me. Woe is me. Sin has taken advantage of me and I'm a mess, and, and look at me. I, I just want to get back to where I was. And repentance says, no, 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 no. I don't mind. I don't worry about the horizontal. I'm more concerned about the vertical. I hurt my God. I hurt my relationship with him. Repentance wants to restore that relationship with God. Regret simply wants to get over the consequences of sin. I want to encourage us today to be mindful of how we respond to God's work in our lives. Are we just regretful? We want him to get back alive? Or is it truly repentant? I want to make a change. And I want to restore that relationship with my God. Regret is all about us and how I am being hurt, how my life is ruined, how my heart is breaking. But repentance is all about God, how he has been grieved, how his nature as creator and redeemer is being trampled on, how his repeated saving actions are being trivialized and used manipulatively. We see that children of Israel are regretful, they're remorseful, but they're not ready yet for repentance. May I encourage you today, are you truly repentant? 
Well, here's two indicators. First of all, we have to listen to God's word. God's word will send you a clear message through the preaching, through your Bible study on a daily basis, through Sunday school, through podcasts, through about whatever you do. God's word will let you know where you're wrong. His word will not return void. It's like a hammer. It breaks it in the pain. God's word will penetrate. How do you respond to God's word? And second of all, we need to discern if you are continually getting stuck. Perhaps there's a teenager today that you have found yourself continually getting stuck in a sin time and time again. Maybe there's a young adult or maybe someone of us older who, who you know, we continually find ourselves getting back in that rut. And that is simply regret. No, that rut can be demolished if we'll simply repent, get a change of heart, and allow God to change our life. And so we see today the needful repentance. A man was praying with his pastor at the altar one day, and he prayed a prayer that the pastor had heard many times. He said, Lord, take these cobwebs out of my life. And just as he said it, the pastor interrupted, Kill the spider, Lord. Many times we ask the Lord to forgive us of some sin, but we leave the source of temptation in our life. What are you saying, Pastor Justin? I'm simply saying the children of Israel had to get to a point where they are more than just regretful or remorseful. True restoration was only going to come when they were repentant toward their God. Which leads me to the fifth and final point, and I think it's the most exciting. Because we see they're trending in the right direction, and we also see the wonderful grace of, and mercy of our God. We see number five, the Israelites near restoration. Near restoration. The restoration was coming. The Bible says in verse number 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak tree, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abrazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, if you don't know the story, you don't know the ending, but if you grew up in church at all, you've probably heard this Bible story very often, and you know Gideon eventually becomes a savior. But nowhere in verse number 10 do you see a repentant heart of the children of Israel. You see remorse, you see regret, but nowhere you see repentance. But yet, even though they're not truly repentant yet, God knew they were on their way there. Before they were ready for repentance, God had already started preparing a Savior. And today, you and I must understand that whether you know it or not, every single one of us need a Savior. The Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I remember as a 10-year-old boy when I thought I was doing pretty well. And then the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life. And I realized my sin was keeping me from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. There is none righteous, no, not one. Because we were sinners, Christ died for us. And do you realize the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin is death and hell. We have no hope without God. Therefore, before we even realize we need a Savior, God already took care of that thousands of years ago. Do you realize today Jesus Christ came to earth, was born in the manger as we celebrated a couple weeks ago, and he rose from the, he died on the cross and rose from the grave for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you realize today that before you ever even became before you ever saw your need, maybe, of repentance, Jesus Christ, God already prepared a Savior for you and me. We must decide today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
the Lord Jesus. When you confess the Lord Jesus, I want you to be ruler of my life, Lord. Thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. When you believe that Jesus Christ was willing to come and die on the cross and that he rose from the grave, as the scripture says, and we know that it's true. When you believe that in your heart, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must confess to God that you no longer can do it on your own. Without him, you have no hope. Your sin is sending you to hell. But when you can confess to God that, God, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, Jesus says, okay, I'll save you. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't it interesting today that God goes forth to recruit and prepare his rescuer, even though there is no evidence yet of real repentance? He's willing to do that, and he did that for you and me. But what he cannot do is make you do it. You must come to a point in your life when you invite Jesus Christ in your heart. My question today is simple. Do you understand you need a Savior? Before you even have a repentant heart, you may not even have known an hour ago you needed a Savior. But now you know. You need a Savior if you're a sinner. You need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ. If you've never invited him into your life. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. You, you need to do it today. Invite Jesus Christ in. And if you will, he will save you from your sins. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you do not know for sure you're going to heaven. You say, Pastor Justin, I had no idea when I came today that I was a sinner. I mean, I knew I've done some bad things. But I guess I didn't know my sin had a payment, a punishment in hell. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that without the saving grace of Jesus Christ and his willingness to die on the cross and pay for my sins, that I have no hope without God. And I want Jesus Christ in my life. Even That's the graciousness of God. Before I even needed it, God was already preparing a Savior for me. And Jesus Christ, with head bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to embarrass you. That's why no one's looking. But I do want to give you an opportunity. Oftentimes in a crowd this size, there's somebody that needs to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're on the main floor. Maybe you're in the balcony. Maybe you're to my right or to my left. And how many would say, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Pastor Justin, that's me. I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven. And Jesus Christ made a way out. I want to accept him into my life with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would anybody say that this morning? Maybe that's you. Would you raise your hand up real quick? Anybody this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand in the balcony. Anybody on the main floor, maybe? I see that hand. Anybody else, maybe, in the balcony? Well, let me encourage you to do something like this. I prayed this prayer years ago. It wasn't the prayer that saved me. It was me acknowledging my need of a Savior and calling out to God. Would you say something like this in your heart? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but I don't want to go there. Lord, I believe and trust in you and invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my way of thinking and I acknowledge you as the only way to heaven. Please come to my heart and save me. 
and take me to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. Would you slip up your hand real quick? I want to rejoice with you. God bless 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 you. Lord, you saw the hearts. Lord, thank you for many who gave their life to you this morning. But I want to go one more step if you could keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Are there things in your past or present about which you may be regretful but not repentant? How many of you this morning would say, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. The Lord brought something to my heart. I mean, as a pastor, I could have mentioned 30 or 40 things maybe that we all struggle with. But it's amazing how the Holy Spirit has a way of nudging your heart. How many say, Pastor Justin, there's something in my heart. It has nothing to do with salvation. I know I'm saved. But the Lord brought something to my heart today that I may be regretful or maybe remorseful, but I, I'm not truly repentant, and I want to give it to God today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you all over, all over. Here's what I want to go to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that drinketh and eateth unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Here's what we want to do today. I want to encourage you to examine yourself today before we take of the Lord's Supper. Is there an area of your life where you are crying out for salvation, maybe, but God is actually prompting you to listen to a sermon of some short first? Maybe that's you today. How many would say, Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? I, I've examined myself, and, and Lord's touched my heart. Just slip up your hand real quick and put it down. Last of all, I want us to encourage us. How does the knowledge that God is acting in grace, even before we turn back to him, motivate you to repent and listen to him? Even before you even realize you needed a Savior, God looked out for you and provided a Savior for you. If that doesn't lead you to repentance, a repentant heart, I don't know what would. Or thankful for the grace and mercy of God. This time I want to invite our men to come forward. We're going to get ready for the Lord's table today. If you can keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. As they're getting ready, it's going to take them a minute or two and come forward. I want to encourage you to think back, examine your heart. I want to encourage you to maybe just take a moment and thank God. Uh, Thank God for for his goodness, what he did on Calvary. Uh, If we're not careful, we can be like the children of Israel and slowly drift away from God. When in all reality, God's never moved, we have. At this time, our men are going to get ready to pass out the elements. If you are a child of God, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to partake this morning. This will be kind of part of our invitation time. And uh, this time the men will pass out the bread at this time. I encourage you to spend some time just reflecting on God's goodness and what he did for us on Calvary. I promise you that will help you have a repentant heart, but also will have a thankful heart as well.
Thank you, man. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your willingness to come to earth, Lord, and serve amongst us, but then be willing to die on a cross and be beaten, Lord, and suffer. Lord, suffer spiritually, suffer emotionally, suffer physically, Lord, and be nailed to a cross. You are willing to do all that and shed your blood for you, for, for us, and thank you for doing that. Lord, as we remember this this morning, I pray it will cause us to get closer to you. Lord, may we never forget your goodness to us. We sure do appreciate your broken body, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. At this time, the men will get ready for the juice, which is, resembles uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're thanking him at this time for his shed blood and how it covered our sins for us. The men will go ahead and begin at this time.
And then the Bible goes on to say, uh, in verse number 25, After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This sooner, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And we drink the juice this morning as a remembrance of the precious blood that was shown, shared, was shed for our sin. The Bible says, about the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And let's thank the Lord in prayer this morning. If you'll pray silently while I pray aloud for his shed blood. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. You sure are an amazing God. Thank you for foreseeing from the foresight to prepare a Savior for us. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, who was willing to go and die for us and shed his blood. He was the only one because he was the perfect one that could pay for our sins. Thank you for his willingness to do that. Thank you for your willingness, Lord, to raise from the dead. Lord, thank you that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thank you that we can remember you always for that. Thank you for your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen. like to there's a spot for you in the front of the pew where you can put these in and these cups in and we'll get them later thank you man i appreciate it you may go and if we could uh, just do one or two more quick things as we close out the invitation perhaps maybe someone would like to make a decision today and if we could stand to our feet the piano is going to play and maybe there's someone this morning that would maybe want to follow it in baptism i know we have someone wanting to get baptized we have someone this morning maybe that wants to join the church at this time if you come forward at this time. And we just want to take a moment here and, and, and cover any other decisions that needed to be made today. Uh, as the piano plays, maybe you'd like to stay there in your pew and just pray. But maybe there's someone who, Lord's pricking your heart, maybe you'd like one of our assistant pastors to pray for you. Maybe you have a decision you'd like to make or make public. We'd love to take care of that this time. And we want to go ahead and do that toward the close of the service here. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, we have one or two more quick things to do, and then we'll be gone. Uh, first of all, um, Mason Mitchell has accepted Christ as his Savior and wants to follow Lord in baptism, so he'll be ready to be baptized in just a second. And so we're excited about Mason. And then also Mike and Lori Cunnington. Raise your hand over there, Mike and Lori. And they've been coming for several months now and feel like God's leading in their heart to join our church. Of course, they've been saved and baptized and just want to get involved. And uh, we're excited about serving the Lord together. So all in favor of, of joining Mike and Lori, joining our church, say aye. aye. All right, it carries. Welcome to the family. And we're so glad to have you. We're looking forward to serving the Lord together in the days, weeks, and years to come. And this time we have a video we're going to share with some upcoming announcements. We'll have our baptism and we'll get you, get you on the road here. Good morning. 
morning, and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's sermon from Pastor Layman was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for another powerful sermon from Pastor Layman. I hope you will join us for our Vision Sunday, next Sunday, January 15th. We'll have services at 8.30 and 11 o'clock. Join with me as we look at what we believe God has for us this year with our vision. Sunday morning, we will talk a little bit about the actual purpose of our year. Sunday night will be more of a celebration service. So if you've been saved this year, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've followed in baptism, you've been through discipleship, or you've joined the church through membership, we want you to come and we want to recognize you. We want to also give a certificate to those who finished our discipleship course And we want to have a time of praise from each ministry leader talking a little bit about what God has done. After the service, we'll have a charcuterie board, fellowship that you can enjoy, and then we'll go home. We want you to stay connected at Grandview Baptist Church. To make this easier, we have a text and email service that can help you to receive information about upcoming events, prayer requests, and important church updates. To sign up for church texts and e-messenger emails, Stop by the welcome desk to fill out a connect card or sign up at grandviewcares.com and click connect. We are excited to have the 2023 teen activity calendar available. Teenagers and parents of teenagers, please stop by the welcome desk after the service to pick up the activity card. Ladies, we have an exciting new addition to our Grandview Ladies Ministry. Starting January 18th, we will be offering a new opportunity for you to serve. Our goals are to focus on ministering to our church's shut-ins, encouraging our college students while they are away from home, as well as ministering to all the missionaries we are currently supporting. The Ladies Service Ministry will meet the third Wednesday of the month from 1 to 3 p.m. We will be meeting at the Forest Creek Park Lodge, which is only a half a mile away from the church. There will be a potluck lunch, so bring a dish to share. We'll have a short devotion, as well as a drawing for door prizes children are most definitely welcome to attend with you. If you are interested, please add your name to the sign-up sheet at the welcome desk. I hope to see you there on January 18th. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. accepted Christ as your Savior? Yes. Praise the Lord. Mason, uh, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior and upon a public profession of your faith in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. Baptism is an outward expression, my inward decision. And if you've accepted Christ, even today, or in the last few weeks, and have not followed in baptism, we'd love to talk to you about that. It's your next step in your Christian walk, and so we look forward to doing that. If you're a guest today, don't forget to get your gift card on the way out. We want to take care of you. Hope you have a great day. You are dismissed.